We have hope. Hope that things can get better. And they will. You called it Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, folks, welcome to season three of Rebels, the season premiere double episode, Steps Into Shadow. Because of you guys, my Rebels commentaries have been killing it. I mean, the Defenders ones and Jessica Jones do very well, but man, thank you so much for your support of my commentaries for Rebels, because if... I was always planning on doing the entire thing, but if I hit the end of season two with Twilight of the Apprentice and things weren't rolling well, I'm, you know, I might've taken another break or, you know, reconsidered, but there's no way I'm stopping now, baby. And I've already done a few of season four, uh, with Jedi Geek Girl and other people. I'm not sure I'm going to redo those. We'll see when we get there. I haven't done any of season three here. Season three is a very solid season. Um, it's, it's, it's not nearly as cohesive as the final season and it's not nearly as good in my opinion as season two in terms of every episode being both a great character episode, but contributing to plot going forward, even in ways you couldn't tell at the time or till much later. So one of the themes, uh, as we have the opening heist as we need for all rebels episodes. Um, so one of the things to, to, to be looking for that I will be looking for, we'll be looking for is whether there's more connectivity on some of these quote unquote standalone episodes than I seem to think every time I watch season three, where I have a good sense of a few episodes. I don't have this bad sense of a lot of episodes, but I don't remember them the way I remember, you know, Zeb and, and Callist or meeting Hera's dad for the first time or, you know, or, or so forth. Now what this one shares with season two is introducing nerd ships that we love. In season two, it was the B-Wing with Hera, which I don't think anyone thought we'd ever see the B-Wing outside of a little bit of Return of the Jedi action. Uh, you know, in sort of the mainline, anything. And they did a whole episode about getting the B-Wing. Here's Hondo, who I love. Um, adding Hondo to any of the, the, the heist episodes just immediately makes everything better. I mean, it's, it's hard to dispute that that's the case. Um, he makes up for, you know, if writing's not 100% the entire time, Hondo covers a lot of ground, I would say. But, here we get the Y-Wing, which we know has been actually in operation for a while, and they talk a lot in this episode about being, oh, it's an old ship, it's slow, do we really need it? Uh, you know, there's disparagement of the Y-Wing throughout Star Wars literature, which is great, but the hardcore fans love it, because A, it looks amazing, it's a beautiful design, but it's kind of slow and, and clunky, and is meant for bombing. It's it, it, it's a bomber of ships, of plan, of planetary things, as we see kill Galen Erso, semi-by-accident, semi-purpose in Rogue One, and so forth, and... Uh, you know, it's it's more than a serviceable ship. It's a classic part of literature. And so to have stealing seven Y-Wings be almost worth the loss of property and, and life in this episode shows you how valuable they still are. And obviously we see them in Rogue One and at Scarif and at First Death Star. Oh, this is great. This whole bit is just about him telling, he's telling her he's going to steal, <laughs> steal it. And then... I think he shoots someone coming up. He's like, okay, I'm definitely stealing this. He just knows the bean's going to murder. Oh, I'm keeping it. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not. Love you to your car. I'm making the corny heart symbol. 
man doing these commentaries is so easy i just love star wars it's it, it's really never for me to do not star wars these days even when i need the break because i just i know way too much about it and think way too much about it but it's that important to me so thank you guys for still being on the journey here so I'm going to continue the trend of Rebels, even with double episodes of... Actually, I'm, I maybe I will have done a short intro with Countdown since it's the first of the season. Um, but in general, going forward with all the rest of season three, even with the double episodes, I'm going to just launch right in after the little intro music and the bizzle, the bizzle, the bizzle, the bizzle bit um, and not do full Countdown. So there you have it. Oh, no. <laughs> Did they really kill Piggy? No, because he comes back later. <laughs> I, oh, that's great i missed it well i guess the deal is off oh what a hondo what a scumbag it's great he's so evil people disagree with me about his level of evilness in the clone wars i, I need to rewatch some of those episodes but i my recollection is he is you know he only helps the jedi because that's his best option in the end and I guess that's the whole point of his redemption arc with ezra and why i will say on repeat watchings based just on I love these sorts of turns when they're believable and people are in the middle and not totally evil, like Hondo. Um, Counterplay just said, the fact that he just agrees for no payment to just help them with their huge war at the very end of the series in season four, I don't know if it's believable, but between the performance and the relationship they've established and just the direness of the circumstances, the fact that Vizago and Hondo would just suddenly be like, you know what? We're fed up, and this is actually bad for business. I think that's the, the, how the rebellion succeeds. I mean, who's leading the, other than Princess Leia, who is leading the, think, ask yourselves this, guys, who is leading the attack on, Here's where Ezra gets insane force powers we didn't know he had and, and you know, m- murders. Um, it's not that he kills this guy, but the amount of effort it takes to step him off the cliff and, like, kill him in a creative way. This is the darkest we get of Ezra. I'm going to get back to that. There's the dark side look in his eyes. Um, also looking like Aladdin with the lamp-ish. Um, I wonder what's the... Would they, in the brief times that Ezra is is acting irrationally bad because it is kind of against his character. I wonder if they're channeling a little bit of like Aladdin when he very first sees the, the jewels and, uh, in the lamp. Um, Oh, here's the ghost baby jumping on it. Yeah. Watch Hondo land. Boom. Still athletic as always. So yeah, I totally buy the Hondo redemption. I want to buy the Hondo redemption arc cause it's not like Kylo. Sorry guys. I'm not going to say Raylo doesn't exist in terms of chemistry with those two, but there's no way Kylo Ren is making it out alive of episode nine. I apologize if that hurts your feelings. Ah, Captain Tandul, I appreciate the rescue. <laughs> Even though Turbo tried to betray us. Wait, who's Turbo? <laughs> yeah. I remember being slightly surprised when I first read that they were doing so much of this group dialogue together only because I know that's not how it works in most cartoons and in all video games, it's separate recordings that, you know, they edit together and obviously make it sound like they're talking to each other. But in these scenes with the main crew and maybe even a, a recurring guest star, like Jim Cummings as, as Hondo, they are doing these together all day. They're doing takes and the organicness of it really bleeds out. And I, I said on a recent podcast for the first time ever, but I've been feeling this way that I don't think this show gets enough credit for how brilliant it is. And I think I just like it more than most people who would say the Clone Wars is still better, even if they like Rebels. But look at how many few bad episodes and even fewer just bad scenes within good episodes there are. The way it moves Jedi mythology forward, the way it reintroduces Mandalore and Malachor and the ancient stuff in here with the holocron. Oh, man, this thing is amazing. Um, 
Oh, here's the female holocron voice. Me and Tim doing Twilight of the Apprentice. Thank you, Tim, again. That was amazing. Um, we we had a discussion about it, but we still weren't sure who it was in terms of lore. Um, well, I actually don't even know who the actress's voice is. That's interesting. Um, so, there's a few things that I re- thought I remembered after my very first watching of, of going through all of Rebels, essentially, before I came back for rewatches. When I liked what wasn't as in love as I am now with it, which was it, they try really hard to make Ezra not annoying, but he still ends up being annoying in more episodes than I would like. But you know what? On repeat watchings, there's like three having to do with his parents, which are like little boy whiny, and then there's dark side whiny here. But by the end of this, we're, we're the, you know, the holocron is safe. In the very next episode, Maul comes back, spoiler alert, and Ezra does everything possible to resist and is never tempted by it again. And so the dark side of, the fact that I thought that, I never made the official prediction that Ezra was going to go dark. I, I made it clear at the time that was a desire of mine, that they would be open to have Ezra end up dark at the end of the series. I never really made that prediction, and I'm not saying that to just you know, get out of it, love Tarkin, um, but I just didn't know. But the fact that I thought that was a possibility looking back is dumb, because he's he's Ray. He's younger, he has way more training, He's but he spent more time flirting with the dark side directly with Maul and Vader and the Holocrons and blah, 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 and uh, but he's basically right in terms of how good his heart is and that was always the plan and for me or anyone else who thinks that, that was not the plan for Ezra was dumb and I will not make that mistake again so I just want to point something out uh, you know I've been pat- doing t- a lot of back padding I apologize about me calling time travel it's on the tape I can tell you where to find it almost a year ago and, and that Ahsoka would be the one traveling through time and lo and behold like 8 months 6-8 months later world between worlds with Ahsoka traveling between time but I just want to point out that right now she is existing in multiple universes she is you know dead or half dead or in the underworld somewhere below Malachor which is what it looks like she's walking away from at the end of season 2 Twilight of the Apprentice is that she's somewhere below Malachor and she goes through some Gandalf, you know, rebirth journey, but that's not how they save her at all. They actually have to go to the battle. And so the question is, when Ezra goes to the world between the worlds and pulls Ahsoka out of the battle with Vader, we have to assume Ahsoka died in that battle because otherwise there would be another older Ahsoka wandering around at the same time and the whole continuum would be thrown off. It's all thrown off anyways and it's all hypothetical time travel, but even though it did not appear that Ahsoka was murdered by Vader, when we first saw Twilight the Apprentice, we must assume she dies or goes to like another plane after that battle in order for her coming back to life, quote-unquote, in this timeline via the World Between Worlds. And Ezra, and that is a challenge with my book that I'm writing involving this so much harder because I thought I was going to be able to pioneer the time travel way. I'm glad I don't have to do that and I have a template now with World Between Worlds, but the time travel issues can still be very sticky, very tricky, as Ahsoka would say, or Trixie, as Gollum would say. All right, okay, so Tom Baker, you either know this or you don't. The guy who plays the Bendu is one of the best characters in television or Star Wars ever, the Bendu. The giant gray trash heap, you know, goat god creature. The trash heap has spoken. Um, Fraggle Rock reference. Um, But he does kind of come out like the trash heap in Fraggle Rock from the ground. Um, here's Hera really tempting to, to get Kanan back as being the the guy that he needs to be for Ezra because as soon as Ezra feels abandoned by Kanan he goes straight to the holocron and using the dark side and they do a little bit of backtracking together but that's part of their journey um, it's interesting 
their their journeys are mirrored in the sense of oh here he finds it even blind i think he's a sense for it already it's calling he stumbles over let's see he's right next to the holocron how does he end up does he hit it completely by accident <laughs> he's a terrible liar and oh, there it is what what's this mm-hmm. yeah i would have thought he would have smelled it already but he's he's all sorts of lost at the moment um, but what I was going to say was there is an interesting mirror between, yes, Ezra's flirting with the dark side, but Kanan is flirting with le- uh, being not in touch with the light side, which is not the same thing. Uh, have different levels of danger and things can go wrong, but the Bendu has to make him understand the gray side of the force that he ultimately doesn't go with the Bendu. He ultimately comes back to the light side fully, essentially just Kanan. But like Ray in the movies and with, with, with Ezra throughout Rebels, you know, and, and with Ahsoka throughout all the properties, light side Jedis need to be exposed to the, at least the gray side of the force to see the complexity. Because in this giant universe with billions of, of light years of space between any individual person or planet or even star, there's so much emptiness just in terms of basic physics of any universe. The majority of everything is emptiness. And so that would seem to be in the gray side of the force, making the light and dark side even that much more precious, obviously, which is how they're portrayed. I mean, that's the thing. The the sort of preciousness of the light side and dark side being hard to achieve and full of great power fetishizes them in a brilliant way narratively in the original trilogy uh, as done by Lucas and his people. So they don't need to actually say it. But if you do want to speculate metaphysics, then Kanan's exploration isn't, you know, he just wants to understand what the space is between. And that's why the blind messiah slash blind samurai is such a constant in all artistic media around the, around the world. Because it's just like with Daredevil, what makes Daredevil such a great comic book character <laughs> and increasingly I'm, I'm loving Daredevil. I won't get into that here. Check out my Daredevil commentary is, is you're forced to use all your other senses. And with the force, there's obviously an even added sense there. Although we could argue that what Daredevil is experiencing is actually the force. Um, because it's more than a sixth sense. He, he's experiencing the world like Neo. Like the question is, is Neo always seeing the code in, in, and when like after the first movie it's never clear whether he's always seeing the code because any, every time we see something from neo's eyes it's normally to see the, the matrix construct code so that we know it's from his eyes and that we can see weird things like seraph or other beings that aren't green and, and look at a place my, my my feeling is it feels like with his level of power just how the matrix is constructed that neo would be able to look at things you know as everyone else is seeing them as the, you know the illusion of the matrix there's ahsoka's owl <laughs> teasing ahsoka already at the beginning of season three that she's not dead people are so dummies they didn't think they just love her so much you know sometimes i, I think even good Star Wars fans get angry irrationally just because something they love so much, but they get blinded to the obviousness that Ahsoka never died when we see her wander off at the end of Twilight Apprentice. But anyways, so it's not clear whether uh, Neo is only seeing Matrix code. I think he's seeing everything, or, or he can switch back and forth 
like a band on radio, but now with the, when you're blind in the real world or the force world here, you've used all your senses, including the force senses, which is basically the same thing. So the question is, when you compare it to Daredevil, it's always explaining Daredevil as smell, touch, vibrations, hearing, um, taste, you know, that all the other senses are heightened, but he, he does seem to be in touch with something spiritual, even though he seems, you know, he sees himself as an apostate from God, which is sort of what Kanan's going through here too, is seeing himself as an apostate from the, the Jedi Order, and he did some not-so-great things, did Kanan, you know, before he met Hera and started doing the right thing. Um, but I love these double opening episodes because I just got in 15 minutes of great talking and we're just getting into it. We have so much time to flesh it out and let it stretch and breathe and it's great. So anyways, oh yeah, Tom Bendu, I believe was the fourth Doctor Who, considered one of the best, if not the best. I'm not a Doctor Who guy, um, but apparently he is one of the best, not the best Doctor Who and is just like otherworldly with his Bendu voice, which is what they were going for with, um, uh, John, um, John Reese Davies, what's his name? Uh, who plays Gimli in Lord of the Rings, who also did Treebeard's voice, but you could tell it was Gimli, um, and it only got like 80% there. This voice with this crazy nature beast, nature force beast, is just the perfect matchup. If I'm a, if I'm a kid, and that's what, one of the things I love, you have to love about the Bendu with this show is, if you have a kid who's of just the right age, like eight years old, and they see something like the Bendu, like you get that mix of, oh, I'm, I'm eight, I shouldn't be like scared or uncomfortable by a creature like this. But even as an adult, he's like kind of scary. Look how big he is. And the fact that he's moving so slow and talking so deep is just lulling you into thinking he might just snap. And he does snap eventually, right? But problem with the Bendu that he has to be forced to see ultimately by Kanan, although I don't think the Bendu would ever acknowledge it as such, um, is that in order to preserve the entire universe, which is mostly gray, which I've been getting to, all the empty space is, is just gray matter or dark or dark matter. Sometimes you need to balance the force. And if the dark side's taking over, his whole world dies. That's a f- the mirror with the Ents as well. And there's definitely a connection with the Ents here. I'm telling you, Filoni being a Lord of the Rings guy, which is, you know, the big turn in, in the Two Towers is when Mary, you know, tricks Treebeard into taking them a certain direction when they think they've just taken the hobbits home and they don't want to get involved in the wider conflict. But they then stumble across Isengard and see just mass, like burning entire forests. Um, at once, destruction by Saruman as an agent of the Dark Lord, and that just kicks in their defensive, uh, you know, habits. It kicked into the defensive gear, if you will, and you know, there's a great fight with the Ents, taking down Isengard, obviously throwing rocks and, and hobbits around. Um, but they have to be seen that they can consider themselves neutral and above the affairs of man, elves, Togruta, Twi'leks, and so forth. But if the dark side gets too strong, they, in order to achieve that balance, they must embrace the light, or, or at least assist the light, and that's what Kanan does, and even though the physics of the end of season three's battle is one of the biggest problems of the season, the way Thrawn has them trapped in like a brief lightning storm from the Bendu, and they all get away, and it's, the staging is, is, is ridiculous, we'll get there. I, I think it's the, it's the weakest finale of, of all four seasons, I, I think by a long shot, um, but they also had to save some of their ammo for the, the final 
and the final Thrawn battle at the end of season four. This is, of course, a huge EU thing. If you grew up in the 90s and reading the Thrawn books, the fact that they would bring him back into mainstream Star Wars is phenomenal. As one-dimensional bad guys go, he looks bad, he sounds bad, and that's good enough for the sake of our characters. In general, the mustache, that's why I don't read. I try to, but I never get through any of the, the bad guy Star Wars books, which, to their credit, published a ton of books. I mean, Phasma, Tarkin, multiple books um, from Thrawn's perspective across the decades. I mean, Star Wars loves publishing literature from the perspective of the bad guy, and that's part of the appeal of people who love the, the, the aesthetic of the Empire, even if we're not rooting for them, hopefully. Um, but, but you know, mustache twirling for me normally does get old, and I found the Inquisitors to be, honestly, because of the Force connection, more interesting, and if anything... Having not read comics till relatively recently, last six months, and learning more about the Inquisitors and the fact that, you know, at least in the early days, and and maybe up until his death, uh, I mean, it's clear the Emperor is always exploring other options to Vader and making Vader prove himself. And and Thrawn is one of those, but Thrawn's more has to do with the war effort against the rebels. Um, and Thrawn's failure mostly has to do with with Krennic, uh, Tarkin, and the Emperor embracing the Death Star. Uh, you know, taking away all the resources and so forth. It does answer that question uh, in a way. But um, but anyways, if you're going to have all that baddies, I'd rather have Sarah Michelle as the seventh sister in a bunch of her cronies who, again, when you read the comics or just any extended literature, that knows there are, they're running around competing with Vader. They're not nearly as powerful, and Vader can, can and does kill them, but they're still out there, and it's, it's a point of stress, to say the least, for Darth Vader. That's the whole point, and the Emperor's whole plan. And that's the way the Sith operate. Why, yes, there can only be two, but why only cultivate one number two, right? Why not have a three through 20 just in case number two can't come off the bench and you got to chop their head off? So this is one of those, Ezra's only wrong in this scene because of his attitude. He's screaming at the last guy, this is a great non-response from Rex. Rex could say, you don't know what you're talking about, kid. I've seen hell. But Rex doesn't get mad for a second. He's just summing up the situation. He's used to taking orders from Jedi. I mean, let's be honest. He was taking orders from Ahsoka, who was younger than uh, Ezra is here. Although Ahsoka is much more mature, obviously, and just naturally grown up. Yeah. I mean, the thing no one says is that Anakin's actually the Padawan of Ahsoka, and that was Obi-Wan's plan the whole time. And if things hadn't ended so badly with with Ahsoka and the Jedi Council, it's possible there might have been a different outcome with him not taking Sidious's bait and becoming Darth Vader, joining Palpatine, and killing baby Jedis and so forth. So... It's, it's his experience with Ahsoka and the Kanan Ezra obviously is the same thing and I talk about season t- uh, two but also obviously these early parts of season three dealing with his blindness and the Bendu and everything with the training of Kanan but Kanan does get uh, like Ahsoka does get trained from a number of ang- another angles you know, Ahsoka's got the librarian and the old man he helps her find the lightsaber like she's you know everyone's always trying to help Ahsoka and teach her lessons and she's ultimately open to all of them absorbs them 1000% and becomes better <laughs> because of it I mean she's that's why Ahsoka is Ahsoka uh, Kanan doesn't uh, I think Kanan's a little limited he's not the smartest from a pure intelligence standpoint he is stubborn and he remains stubborn up until his final I- inevitable sacrifice spoiler alert and it's easy and four he does the right thing at the end because he has a like luke in the last jedi moment of clarity but ezra's as a much higher 
potential. And that's what Maul sees in Ezra. That's what the Emperor ultimately sees in Ezra. I mean, that's the thing. Vader screws up by not seeing Ezra's potential. Yet again, which is why Palpatine has to send other people to do it. And he, he even does it himself in Season 4. Does Palpatine comes directly after Ezra to be his apprentice, to, to replace Darth Vader, who is weak. We, I mean, that's the thing about Vader is he remains, you know, for 30 years, the number two to Palpatine, despite all of his weaknesses. This is always great when you're dealing with gas clouds. It's never explained well in science fiction. I think people just think they're nebula or some weird storm. But like, you know, you have clouds that are made of gas that are nowhere near enough mass to congeal and consolidate into the beginnings of a star or a black hole or whatever. This is not the gravitational force, but you would still have that 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 stuff around around it now i think this is a full-on gas planet like jupiter that they're in the outside outside of and you know in the star wars universe hovering a star destroyer over a city appears to not take a lot of energy uh, or really move it around at all with atmosphere so they've developed anti-grav technology so what a perfect place to hide a factory whether you're a smuggler or the empire or the rebellion in in a gas cloud um of course, we, we have to know how massive the planet is and how far from the center they are to judge the gravitational pull, but it's still ludicrous. So thank you, Star Wars, for ignoring physics. So anyways, back to before. So Ezra was wrong, and, and you're like kind of angry at Ezra, annoyed him or whatever, for just being a dick and not listening to his elders when he should, but he's ultimately right in that if they hadn't moved in, all the Y-Wings would have been destroyed. And while he does apologize at the end of all this and get a partial or temporary demotion, I think, or at least put on watch or probation from his superiors, um, by the way, really quickly, Hondo doing the pig voice. Well, guess who does the pig voice is Jim Cummings. So obviously Jim Cummings knows how to do the pig voice because as Hondo, because he does the pig voice as the piggies. Sorry, I call them the piggies. I forget their names. He invented this whole fucking language. So anyway, so Ezra's right, as usual. And, the, the, you know, one of the main problems with Star Wars is that the young protagonists are always right, even if it's for the wrong reasons. Um... And I think that's what ultimately didn't ring true to people. Rational people who had problems with Last Jedi, specifically the character of Rose Tico, was that she seemed unreasonably and unbelievably wise and mature for the character and age she was supposed to be. Um, and, and, like, they tried to make her into older Ahsoka, but you couldn't just go to older Ahsoka. And that's why you need younger Ahsoka in the Clone Wars. Like even Ahsoka has issues with self-control and flirting with the dark occasionally, or just being angry, letting emotions take over all these things that they deal with in Jedi. Um, Ezra really goes through that journey, uh, obviously through this series, which is why I, I say he's the best Pado- the most developed Padawan of them all. You know, Luke Skywalker sometimes does the right thing on purpose, sometimes doesn't. Like, like I will ask again the question: If Darth Vader is not his daddy, what happens in the throne room at the end of Return of the Jedi? He murders that guy and maybe goes completely dark. Does uh, does Luke Skywalker? That's how close he was to being the head or the next the head of the Sith. Yeah. You know he's going to run into the spiders eventually, but the fact that they hold, hold off, hold off, hold off, hold off, and then suddenly he just turns and it's just all up in the camera is great. Obviously, they're you know pulling the camera nice and tight here, so you have no idea where the spiders are. 
they're so um uh what's the word for the uh that hardened skin um you know, we see insects as squishy because when we step on them accidentally or on purpose or whatever, they, they squish. But the ch- chitinous, chitinous, chitinous uh, outer core is actually quite hard, obviously, to protect them. Um, so it's cool that with giant spiders, it actually wouldn't be squishy. It would have sort of a hardened exterior. Also fits with the very, very rocky, um, dry, arid. Up uh, oh, there it is. Yeah. So anyways, back to my point. So you have characters like Ezra who are always right. If you're not going to write them to actually be wrong, then you the, the, the less good option but the one that they sometimes take on TV shows is to make them annoying, um, angering, frustrating, uh, just, or just unlikable, dislikable, unlikable, and their delivery of it. So like Ezra's screaming everyone that this is what we're going to do. We're going to move in, ignore orders, and I'm in charge of blah, 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 blah. You're like, okay, you're acting like a child, child. But, he's, but he ends up being right. And so I'm not sure what that teaches the kids or any of us uh, other than they do come to see Ezra's uh, uh, you know, reckless bravery, the way Ahsoka's reckless bra- bravery, as it, uh, something they need. Oh, and that's what I was going to say much earlier when I talked about Hondo and Visago and how it, you know there's a direct mirror that at the end of the Rebels TV show that Hondo and Visago and a lot of the smugglers had joined the Rebellion. And, and this is why Lando Calrissian and Han Solo, two of the most legendary scoundrels in the galaxy, are the main leaders with Leia of the Battle of Endor. It's not a coincidence they're smugglers. It's because the Rebellion needed that. The Rebellion was just cutthroat assassins like uh, Saw Gerrera or, uh, you know, um, uh, Cassie and Andor or politicians and senators. And that's, of course, one of the many things not unappreciated about the Generso character is that she's the one that finally bridges all the different sides coming from Saw. But her dad's a scientist, but she can talk intelligently with the politicians and inspire. She, she, but she's not an assassin. She's got principles, blah, 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 blah. And, and the Rebels crew sets it up with Ezra being at the heart of that. Um, but, uh, you know, th- there's an ongoing theme in Star Wars that, you know, when shit hits the fan and there's really, really bad guys that rule in the world, rule in the galaxy, the people in the middle, whether it's the Bendu here being in the middle of the, the force or, you know, smuggler, amoral smugglers like Visago and Hondo, they're eventually going to turn also against the bad guys out of sheer necessity or just being angry about constantly being fucked with. <clears throat> The New Republic should immediately give, and this is what's going to be so interesting in Mandalorian, is we're going to see on the Outer Rims how the quote-unquote liberation of the galaxy is, is proceeding. My guess is they're going to complicate the New Republic like they complicate everything else. That's why I love Star Wars' current manifestation, or just in general, throughout the years. The New Republic is going to start cracking down on some of the very smugglers that helped them. Um, and the first thing they should do is offer amnesty. But the bottom line is, you know, hustlers going to hustle, and there's always going to be sm- so the question is, how harshly do you crack down on them? Um, and this is a thing for the real world, too. It's like, you know, Jean Valjean steal, Miz, steals a loaf of bread and gets 10 years in prison, which you think would be absurd, but it's happened throughout history. You get killed or lose a hand, at least, for stealing a loaf of bread. The, the fact that this was a thing until recent history. You know, now you possess a small amount of drugs and you're not even selling them. You just have a problem. You go to jail for 20 years. The key is you gotta lock the smugglers. This is the business political view on smugglers or people who are breaking the law in ways that aren't directly hurting people. Is you do have to punish them uh, or make them pay in some way, but it's to be much different different than rapists and murderers and so forth, which seems obvious but never truly happens. But George Lucas definitely recognized with Han Solo that 
while we love the amazing princess who's good at everything <clears throat> and beautiful, and we love the erstwhile Padawan, you know, Jedi character in Luke, without Han Solo, Star Wars doesn't have that Western gunslinging feel that they channel- channeled so, I thought, great in the Solo film. And we're going to definitely see in the Mandalorian TV show. Speaking of Mandalorian, here's Sabine kicking ass. Ah, what a badass. I love Sabine. Let's see, where are we in this? I got this. So here's the plan going wrong. So yes, to, to continue, I don't know if I ever, com- again, completed the slide. I think, I think I've completed the, is Ezra right or wrong? <clears throat> the point being, they should have just made him wrong. <laughs> because in theory, the, the accidental success of this mission was actually a boon to them. <clears throat> and his recklessness, which is, the th- oh, that's what I was trying to get to, is, you know, it, 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 there's a mirror between, so the Jedi Council does buy the charges against Ahsoka for a while, but they're blinded because it's clear that someone like her would never do something like that, but they're blinded because of how powerful and at times reckless she can be, but they're actually seeing the dark side of Anakin through her, and, and so, but, you know, eventually, yes, they say, okay, we were wrong, you know, you're free to come back, and she says, no thanks, essentially, I'm out of here, does Ahsoka, um... <clears throat> which is uh, you know endlessly interesting to discuss those episodes and we will get to my clone wars commentaries with Simi um but in the end they 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 Ezra being they Ezra and Kanan being hybrids of the gunslinger cowboys outlaws because Ezra's also come from a smuggler background let's be honest um and the Jedi makes them such great and cool characters I mean, adults are always going to gravitate towards Kanan, and some kids at least will gravitate towards Ezra, the littler ones, but they're both kind of doing the same thing. Um, And, again, you have to let the smugglers win it, and in the end, it's the former governor of Lothal who's gone rogue to help them. It's Visago and Hondo and their people. It's clones, you know, who were totally betrayed by the empire that created them. You got, you know, a Lasat species that barely even exists anymore. They make, it's easy to say we're going to make a space Western with a Motley crew, but to have the performances and relationships be so so spectacular over four seasons, I just can't praise enough. And this goes back to, I guess my original point for this episode is we get covered in price. Ah, such a sexy middle-aged Imperial woman, isn't she? Man, she's just that haircut and... Her intensity, uh, man, I, I I find that look very attractive. Um, yes, it is a cartoon character. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> Sorry, Ezra. Okay, so so this is actually the decision that is maybe wrong, not the being reckless about getting the Y wings. But but yeah, so so rebels. I'll continue to say. As I do these commentaries, so I won't dwell on it here during this final glorious ten minutes. That I think it's it's underrated, even though many people like it. Like most Star Wars fans, at least enjoy it or think it's okay, and many like it a lot. But there isn't a love for it, and I think it's because it was the first major Disney project on on a Disney Channel, and they were trying to bridge, uh, so to speak, between adults and kids. I don't know if they could do a better job, and I'm interested in how they're going to market the Siege of Mandalore, which, by necessity, is going to be more like the Clone Wars, which was on Cartoon Network relatively late, so they could get away with lots of killing. Let's be honest, the Clone Wars, there's tons of murder, like graphic murder. It's a fine line on the Disney XD channel, which is why they put it on Disney XD, and most people are streaming it. 
but I, as a first effort to bridge the kids and adults to make try and make everyone happy with Star Wars, I, I, I don't know how much better of a job they could do. But again, with Dave Filoni at the helm and this voice cast, just just nailed it. So right, so does Ezra have to destroy the whole factory, especially in the way that it seemed like he's doing it to, uh, to you know, to murder. Uh, <laughs> Like he, he was making it seem like he was going to get lots of pleasure out of the possibility that that guy might not get out. Let's just put it that way. And that's actually the darkest thing in the episode, but we're already kind of overlooking it because they're trying to get out of the mission. And that was actually the eviler thing than him just shouting at Rex before. You know, I, I think the whole season is like this. There's just certain lines and certain beats that feel a little off to me. And I, I don't think season four completely reaches like the best of season two territory again um in just terms of consistency episode after episode um but they they start hitting a new stride heading towards bringing back ahsoka and the battle of othal and so forth this is sort of the holding action season i mean Battlestar season three is like this i can just go on and on down list of four season you know shows where the third season things are a little a little slippery man does this look good with the y-wings and sound good keep them steady says rex this is beautiful by the way that exact speed in the way that the y-wings flew and here are flying is exactly from battlestar i mean when they do when they do these fleets where they're flying in formation um it's it's uncanny of course it looks even better because care best my thoughts exactly yeah yep the thing is about good lines is lines can still be really good even when they're predictable You know, I love when shows like these are at their best when they're surprising you with stuff. And, you know, Ezra almost getting dramatically and gloriously murdered here because of his own questionable decision is, is appropriate. And so that's how they chose to have him d- deal with it. I'm in trouble, too. And this is where he begs for Kanan. And we realize all of this darkness is coming because he doesn't have his, his dad slash older brother figure. This is wrong, he says. It's all gone wrong. Yeah, I mean, strategically, he's doing he's doing a good job. I mean, his life is not worth seven Y wings. That's for goddamn sure. But they do they do essentially consider this a strategic success. But he has to earn people's trust again. And you know, that's why they did ultimately have to go back to Lothal because that is the thing that he cares about the most. And when he's able to, you know not give into to his childish anger and instincts and like look rationally like we need to save this planet for the good of everybody of Lothal and and the galaxy and you know that people follow him but but he grows a lot between now and then and it's you know it, it's not a coincidence that the episode where we see the growth the first and only major growth where he gets a little bit taller and thinner and his ha- his hair is shorter um that they would this would be the episode where we see Ezra almost go dark and almost lose control right off the bat was a very very smart decision um not just writing this episode but in terms of just storyboarding the the season in the whole series because now we like we've already lost lovable shaggy-haired Ezra. He's he's already dark and so what they can do great is not have him be tempted by the dark side almost ever after these first few episodes, but it's always there as a threat because the first time we saw him in this new version is right here where he you know he, he he's he, yeah. 
he, he, he may win the day here and it may be partially accidental and partially, you know, earned, but he, he's never in control of, of himself. And that's what ultimately what the Jedi way in Star Wars is about is for, stop trying to control the world. If you can control yourself, then you can do whatever the best it is that you can do to help the world. But without the self-control and, and self-discipline that, you know, that can never happen. So it's late night as usual. I love recording these late, and I'm just kind of loopy. Uh, I'm going to try and do a bunch of these because they've been doing very well. It's too far. Here's the, Ruth, reach out your hands. Right, it's okay, I've got you. Does he say, like, let go? Yeah, go ahead, let go. Such a predictable line, you know, the, the dual meaning of let go. We, we see, but it's like, that's, that's the Matrix. That's Star Wars. That, that's what I, what I just described about letting go. Having control of yourself by not trying to control things. You know, get, and that's whether you're Neo in the Matrix or these people in the Force universe, you know, feel that greater thing around you. And that's why you don't need God. That's what's so brilliant. No one ever talks about, we don't need God or gods or any real religion in Star Wars because it's a humanistic, it's a Taoist thing, even more than Buddhist thing, a Taoist thing of the only spirituality that matters is understanding ourselves, trying to attain enlightenment for ourselves, helping others try to attain enlightenment to the extent that we can and try and not make the world a worse place if we're not at least able, if we're not able to make the world a much better place then make, you know, do as little damage as possible, as much good as possible. These very basic ethical principles but what they get in Taoism in the East and certain strains of Buddhism and so forth is that that is the center of the religion, not God, Jesus, Allah, Muhammad, prophets, angels, this crazy metaphysical, mythical, you know, Greek mythology world uh, of gods and angels and demons, and then put ethics on top of that. Like ethics is the thing, but ethics also also includes cultivating the self, which Star Wars gets innately and when you look back on the four seasons, I mean, the amount of just great uh, um, force dialogue that happens often without you realizing it, you know, um, it, it is, uh, it's, it's impressive. And I'm, I'm thankful to everyone behind this for pulling, mostly pulling that off this whole time. And I can't wait for the future with the animated division, five new, uh, so they ended up with five Y-Wings after all that. Yeah. Right. You disobeyed orders. Oh, she does suspend his command. Admiral Dama. Get him to the brig. Yeah. This is, this is, your loyalty is admirable. Zeb. That's the thing. Your loyalty is admirable said sarcastically like that is exactly something an Imperial would say to another Imperial. But the way Hera says it is why she's Hera and the ultimate rebel and Princess Leia and all that, you know, is she's annoyed with everybody. She's mostly annoyed with, with Ezra. It's like, she's never going to buy that little plea that it was all of their faults from Zeb. It's just, she's kind of annoyed with Zeb even more, but immediately she's like, okay guys, let's get over it. We got Y-Wings. Let's do this. Yeah, and this is why you, you just can't hate Ezra. I mean, you don't have to love him. And I guess you can find him annoying, but he he ultimately is such a good kid and, and just wants to please Kanan and do the right thing. Oh, what'd you do with it anyway? This is, this is the Bilbo Baggins. Oh, I would love to see that ring just one last time. I'm sorry, Uncle. I've lost it. I'll always come back. And he used to say that to uh, Hera, actually, too, uh, as the series goes on, because she's not so sure. 
There we go. All right, folks. So that was the season premiere of season three, episode one, Steps into Shadow. I don't know if this um, uh, has the same problem as, not problem, but there's inconsistency in numbering. There's two numbering systems. One where you, they consider the double opening episode, episodes one and two, and therefore the next episode w- would be uh, episode two, The Holocrons of Fate. I think this is the first time they actually started... Um, uh, numbering them as, as just um, uh, like the first double episode is just an episode. I'm only saying that because I'm constantly saying, you know, that was episode two and or three or whatever. So if I click next episode, what happens? Holocrons of Fate, they call it episode two. What about Wikipedia? What about Wikipedia? We, of course, get Darth Maul coming back. Yeah, they call it three. They call it three on all the viewing services in IMDb. <clears throat> they they don't count the first episode as two, but in terms of production schedule, that's normally how it works, actually. Um, and uh, like even in the Battlestar, like the movies were were in, entered into the numbering system. So like uh, technically, the, the Battlestar Galactica Razor movie, which is amazing, as good as any of the best episodes, uh, which is a semi prequel, um, and they aired right before uh, season four. I think they call it like. O one and O two of that season or whatever because it was just, you know it was a movie length of double episode thing so I'll keep doing my thing about this being episode two or three thank you guys for listening I'm gonna shut up and get into the next part of the commentary really pumped to be season three of Rebels thank you guys for joining us y'all have been awesome I have been the Bizzle but for now the Bizzlecast is out. <laughs>